You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, welcome to the show. Wednesday, January the 4th, neither one thing nor the other here in TW11. Certainly not cold, but not particularly pleasant anyway. The days through this first part of January just seem to go on and on forever. But we've got plenty to talk about because the entries have just come out for the big marquee steeplechases at the Cheltenham Festival. And beneath the obvious stories, the obvious entries, one or two quite interesting contenders bubbling under, more of which later in the programme. But we must start with the whip. Call it a climb down on the part of the BHA. Call it a U-turn. Call it a sensible compromise with representatives of the Jockeys Association. Whichever way you slice it, what they had intended to do as regards tweaking the whip regulations is now something rather different. Lee Mottishead is a senior writer from the Racing Post. What's the situation now, Lee? Three main changes, Nick. The most controversial part of the revisions was the banning of the whip in the forehand position. That has now been scrapped. So jockeys can continue to use the whip in the forehand as well as the backhand position. The threshold at which penalties will kick in has come down by one, both on the flat and over jumps, to six times now in a flat race and seven times in a jump race. And the penalties for jockeys that break the rules have also been increased again. As an example, Nick, if a jockey breaks the rules by going three over in a race that would have been a seven-day ban in the original revision of the rules, that becomes a 10-day ban now and a 20-day ban for class one or two races. So the BHA board has ratified a new series of measures, a revised series of measures from those that they rubber stamped initially, which had been the result of an extensive, nigh on 18-month collaborative steering group process. Okay, David Jones is the regulatory independent non-executive director for the British Horse Racing Authority and uh, for much of the last couple of years has been preoccupied with this particular subject as chair of the WIP consultation steering group, of which I was a member. Um, David, many will see this as a, as a climb down on the part of the BHA and it's being heralded as a, a great victory for the jockeys. How, how do you view it? I think it's less than helpful if people say this group won or that group won or whatever it might be. Um, you know yourself, we worked really hard on that whip steering group to come up with, with 20 recommendations that, that went before the BHA board. Uh, and when those were announced in July, they were received pretty well by lots, lots of people. Um, and since then, obviously, we've had technical discussions and quite a bit of debate. Um, and very late in the day, we had representations from, from some groups of jockeys, particularly about the, uh, the, the use of backhand only. And a lot of that was, was um, uh, concentrated on some jockeys' inability to just use the backhand because of injury and so forth. Now, you can, you can, you can if you want, take a bunker mentality and hunker down and say, I'm not listening. Or you sensibly listen and think, so what can we do about that? Um, and so what we've done is obviously what has been announced today in terms of allowing the forehand um, uh, and, and also looking at, at, at numbers and obviously 
democracy, there's disqualification and a whip panel, etc., etc. And it's a raft of measures. And I, in some ways, I want racing to win over this. This is not about a climb down. This is about sensibly adjusting where you are to get something that works and also delivers the perception of a judicious use of the whip, which I think is really, really important. I want to ask you about the element of, of horse trading here, um, no pun intended, insofar as that in order for the forehand to be allowed, one stroke has been taken off the allowed limit. So it's from eight down to seven over jumps and, and seven down to six on the flat. Is this not a case of removing one apple and adding one orange or removing one orange and adding one apple? How are the, how are the two things in any way um, given equivalent status in terms of their rightness or wrongness? I think it's really difficult to pick at anything when is it a basket of measures that have been put out there. Perception is really, really important. I think there's lots of people in the industry have said to me, um, why bother with what the general public think? They're never going to come racing. We should just carry on doing what we do because we know it is the right thing to do. I think perception is everything. Um, and um, the backhand was an elegant way in some ways of changing that perception in terms of use of whip. We've now decided for, for the reasons that I've talked about in terms of jockeys unable to use it, we can't do that. So you have to think, do you is there a danger of not having done enough? And I think if you look at count, it's different all over the place. It's five in France, six in America, it's eight in Ireland. And I think you have to choose a number which makes sense. And, and I think there is a perception issue, which is one of the reasons why the board have decided to do what they do. And I think, again, you have to stand back and you have to look at it as a balanced suite of measures to say, is this going to deal with everybody's the public's perception and the industry perception of, of the use of the whip and i think it does by taking the the whip count down however is that not simply saying this is an inevitable road to abolition of the whip which is as you know because we spent so much time in the steering group together my and i i, I think i can now betray a little bit of confidence on this because people know my view on it the minute you start taking taking the number down and down and down it's just an inevitable acceptance of the fact that the whip is something that the sport doesn't find palatable and we may as well do away with it altogether it won't surprise you to say i don't necessarily subscribe to that you you'll know on that on that group we had people from abolitionists to people who said we should keep it absolutely the same i think um Again, I would come back to it is a suite of measures of which the permitted level is one particular aspect. And I draw attention again to the fact that, you know, there is, if you look around the world, there is a different number and you have to pick on a number and stick on that number. Uh, and I don't think it's an automatic um, uh, journey to, to nothing. Part of me says that it is really important we are seen to be doing something in this space. The, uh, if, if, you, if you look at the moment, um, the, the public's reaction, and I know people within racing say it's not relevant, but I think it's really important that the social license argument is a really important one. If you go to any coffee shop in London now, uh, you're unusual if you ask for dairy milk. If you look at the range of vegan products in supermarkets, the relationship with animals is changing. And we have to, within racing, take note of that. And I think this suite of measures does that. And I hope in some ways it takes the whip debate off the agenda for some time and we get on to, to concentrating on what we should be concentrating on which are the good news stories in racing and i hope people get behind this and say 
that's where we're going and i hope jockeys as well in the nicest way do their best to abide by the rules because if we can abide by the rules we get to exactly where we want to be which is the proper judicious use of the whip and a good perception for the public yeah this was being presented as i said as a great victory for jockeys yesterday that you know the bha has you know been forced to accept that they were wrong in the first place the recommendations of the steering group were were, were incorrect um was there any point in having a steering group in the first place I think there is because you've got people there are earthed in it and spent 18 months um, coming up with recommendations that were then passed to the board. This came out as, as, as technical discussions. Um, as I said, I think it's really disappointing if people take sectional interest over this because you've got to look at the racing as a whole. This is not about anybody winning or losing. At the end of the day, racing has got to win. And I don't see it as a victory for jockeys. Equally, I don't see it as a climb down by the BHA. I see it as, as a sensible approach to new evidence that came out and designing something again that comes back to that proportionate proportionate and judicious use of the whip uh, david given that there were there were two representatives of the of the jockeys on the on the steering group and that no one really raised much of an eyebrow when this idea was was put on the table and you know they're supposed to be the ones with with expertise do you find it frustrating that it's only now that it, it this appears to have been considered some sort of egregious mistake to to, to put the backhand on the table um it has certainly surprised me. I think if at the time, um, the two jockeys we had on, on, on the group uh, were really helpful. They, they came up with the solution. Um, I assumed obviously as, as, as well that the other jockeys were behind that and, and that's what we thought. I think at the end of the day, it's very difficult if you're trying to find solutions for things. Uh, if you can't consult properly with the industry, um, and it's not for me to tell the PGA how to run their affairs or whatever, but I think it's important that we have proper representative bodies. So as a regulator, uh, we can have discussions and understand where those bodies are. I think that is really, really important. And I think it's quite challenging for everybody if at a late stage things change. Uh, and you can obviously then ignore that or you do what is a sensible thing and react to it but i think um whoever those bodies are whether it's pja or other industry bodies i think it's really important if we're going to move the sport forward in a sensible way that we can have proper consultation and know exactly where we're going when we put proposals out there and whether they're going to fly or not and i think that would be really really helpful so um hindsight is a marvelous thing but i, I think in some ways all parties need to ensure that we don't get into this space again and we have proper representation so we know how people think if we're going to move the industry forward. I mean, the one thing that, that does strike me, David, is that the jockeys appear to have, have come to the table here arguing that their own level of personal responsibility should be even higher. I'm just trying to imagine a scenario at a big festival meeting coming up just around the corner whereby somebody goes three over the limit i.e not a disqualification and they're now staring down the barrel of a 20-day suspension for what would be 10 strokes of the of the whip it's not an inconceivable situation a 20-day suspension what reaction do you think that's going to going to garner um well i i, I hope in in some ways jockeys have laid out what they wanted which was they they wanted to continue the use of the forehand and they absolutely expected penalties to be increased and so forth 
And in some ways, uh, I would expect them to, uh, this is what they've laid out, and these could be the consequences. But I think it's going to be less than helpful if when that happens, somebody then says, my goodness, I can't believe 20 days just for doing that. Those are the rules, and those are the rules they've got to write to. And that this is where we find ourselves. So in, in, in some ways, they have chanted their destiny, and I want them now to sign up to that. At the end of the day, what we're asking jockeys to do is merely count and make sure they don't go over the permitted level, and also, obviously, to use the whip in, a, in, a, in, in the proper way, not over shoulder height and so forth. And effectively, in some ways, they have decided this is the route they want to go down. So in the nicest way, uh, I would expect them just to take that and for us to move on, because those are the rules that will be in play. That was David Jones. Lee Motter said, listening to, to all of that. Um, some interesting comments there. What struck you most immediately, Lee? I think what, what strikes me most, Nick, is yet again, the, the whip is the source of enormous difficulties in the relationship between the, the regulator and those who are regulated. Um, I am struggling to see really how this is a triumph for jockeys, as has been painted by some yesterday, but I'll get onto that in a second, Nick. If you're saying we are going to allow the use of the whip in the in the forehand position, but as a result, we're going to lollop one off the the thresholds and increase penalties. It seems quite an arbitrary reaction to that. It seems to me that the, the, to try and equate what um, a continuation of using the whip in the forehand position is in terms of the thresholds and the penalties is a very difficult thing to do. As I say, the, the, this idea that, that this has all come about because of um, a tree-hugging BHA that is obsessed with perception and that the jockeys have had a triumph in batting down the BHA's wish to, to ban the use of the whip in the forehand position, to me, seems entirely wrong. For a start, um, this, as you know, because you're on the on the steering group, Nick, this was an industry-wide body that formed these proposals that went to the BHA board. Within that group were two of the most senior jockeys, Tom Scudamore and PJ McDonald, both of whom spoke eloquently after the initial uh, rule revisions were announced in July about why the, the forehand ban was a good thing. So for, for jockeys to have uh, realised or decided uh, late in 2022 that the forehand ban was going to become a serious problem seems to me to be most unfortunate. It's therefore very interesting that at the end of the BHA announcement on this, on the, on the, the changes to... Uh, the revisions, the, the rule revisions, the, the BHA chair, Joe Sulmer S. Smith, is quoted saying, the board also expressed the view that the sport should try to avoid any situation arising again, whereby following the conclusion of an extensive consultation process, further pertinent information comes to light. This point has been strongly emphasised to the PGA, and we are pleased that the PGA has agreed to review its consultation process in the light of this. What is frustrating is that it took so long for that fair and reasonable concern to be aired to the BHA. 
you know, it's, it's hard to understand why it took so long for, for that to happen. And that does raise questions about the interaction between the PGA and its members in this sort of, of consultation progress. Yeah, the problem is, Lee, is that are we seeing here that the the jockeys are not behaving in a unionised fashion. Mick Lynch speaks for for his workers, and he speaks, broadly speaking, with one voice. Here you've got a whole disparate group of self-employed individuals. Group think can develop and spread through the weighing room, but fundamentally there are many, many different opinions on this. And I can't think there are all that many jockeys who, who, who really wanted much stiffer penalties and one lopped off the strike count but that's what they've landed up with because they find the idea of the backhand unpalatable or unworkable fair enough but it is it's very difficult for the pja to speak with one voice when more vocal splinter groups develop who who clearly have more influence than than the than the jockeys association i don't i don't envy anyone who has to try and bring people together. But it is frustrating, as I say, that this was announced initially in July and it took so long for the problems to emerge, particularly as uh, the, 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 the forehand ban isn't a completely new phenomenon. Some, of, some jockeys have been riding to this rule in different jurisdictions. It, it, it's been there in a Breeders' Cup in, in the past. So it's not a... It's not a completely new thing. And just to expand on a previous point that you made, Nick, as well, in terms of um, what what jockeys will feel about the rules now, I wonder if when this whole process started, if the forehand ban had never been raised in the first place and it was put to jockeys that the end result of this process will be another strike of the whip taken off the, the permitted thresholds, and significant increases to the penalties for jockeys who break the rules, and they are significant penalties, um, would they have been happy mm. with the outcome? You will be coming to the, the, the Cheltenham Festival now, Nick, in a situation whereby, because we now have a, a seven-strike limit over jumps, that any jockey who uses his whip or her whip three times above that threshold, ten times, they will receive a 20-day suspension 11 times and it becomes a 28-day suspension and the winner disqualified. Now, these are significant rules. Now, if it's the case, and it seemingly is, that the, the jockeys as a group are accepting that these are now the rules and these are now fair penalties, then then grand, because I, I think, you know, we, we do need particularly strong penalties. But overall, Nick, I think this whole process, again, highlights significant problems with how this sort of regulation journey takes place in racing um and i i very much hope we get through the the cheltenham festival without furore but i'm i I don't think i'd be being overly cynical if i say that i would have concerns going into it right let's move on to the cheltenham festival three grade one marquee steeplechases entries revealed not that many entries to be honest. Um, there are some interesting ones, though, uh, horses that you haven't seen for a little while. One of them is Monkfish, who won the Brown Advisory, what's now the Brown Advisory Novices Chase, all the way back in the pandemic year when nobody was in, in attendance. And we've not seen a right lot of him since. Um, I put a call into the owner's racing manager, Joe Chambers, to find out what the deal was and um, whether this entry was fanciful. Uh, optimistic. Um, he's 
he's tipping away. He's doing a little bit of cantering, um, but entries closed yesterday. So in the event that he comes right, we uh, we said we would make an entry. Uh, whether he will take that up, whether he runs before that, or whether he makes it in time, we do not know at this stage. Just reflecting on some of the other uh, entries, they all they're all pretty pretty obvious, I guess. Um, how many do you anticipate running in the champion hurdle if everything went right between now and March? I would I would imagine Vauban and Sharjah at most, if everything went well. And, you know, a unlikely Sharjah will run again, um, just because he doesn't seem to act at the, uh, the track that Leopardstown used for the Dublin Racing Festival. Uh, but that is Vauban's next intended target as well, and we were, we were thrilled with his comeback run. And I suppose the other eye-catching one from your stable in terms of the, the, the big races is Shaqan Poursois, who's uh, not exactly had a love affair with the UK before. Is there any chance of him running at Cheltenham or not? There's every chance of him running. I would have thought that if he were to run at Cheltenham, the Ryanair rather than Champion Chase would be more likely. Um, I think we all have it in our head that we'd love to see him in a milling round entry uh, later this year. So we may um, we might... Uh, we, we might try and aim him at that, but he certainly needs to get a one on the board this season. So we aim him at the Kinlock Bray in a few weeks' time down in Thurless uh, and step him out and trip that way and, and go from there. If you thought Monkfish was the longest absentee in the Gold Cup entries, think again. Angel's Breath hasn't run since the 20th of December 2019, and he's popped up in the entries for the Gold Cup and the Ryanair, now trained, as so many of the, the Die Walters horses are, by Sam Thomas. Um, who's no stranger to running horses in big races now and, and joins me now. Sam, there's clearly a story here. I, I had to remind myself who Angel's Breath was and reminded myself that the last time we saw him, he thumped first flow by about five lengths at Ascot. He's obviously still quite good. Um, yeah, absolutely, Nick. Um, everyone knows that I have a very close association to Mr. Walters um, and that's pretty much how the association with the horses come about. Um I actually sat on him before he went into Nicky's uh, when he was first vetted when he came from Ireland and uh, even hacking up the gallops then you sort of got a feel that he was a bit different um, and obviously Nicky done extremely well with him and won some very nice high profile races and ob- obviously the uh, last run was where he struck into himself um, so it's uh, been a, a pretty long road to, to then to, to where he is now and um, like I say um, I'm extremely lucky to be in the position I am that um, I'm able to you know, train some Mr. Walters, and um, yeah, that's how, how I ended up with it, basically. So, what what's prompted the the ambitious the ambitious entries? Um, obviously, he's you know, a, a proven uh, very good horse. Whether he will retain the ability after such a long time off is is still to be seen. But we're planning on running him on the 14th in the Silviano Conti Chase, um, and uh, you know, God forbid he comes out of that okay and. You know, if he went on to win, um, then we would obviously be trashing our heads about where to go next. So it just felt the logical thing to do. And um, both owners, uh, Mr. Bartlett and uh, Mr. Walters, were keen to have an entry. So, uh, yeah, like I say, if we, if we did end up going and winning in a couple of weeks' time, then we uh, we would look a bit silly. Um, you, you're taking on Shishkin as well, his former stable companion. And I think Paul Nichols has got one of his very good horses in there as well. So it's not going to be an easy comeback. Uh, from 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 what you're feeling and seeing, is it is it all there still? Um, look, I mean, this is all very new to me in terms of training him. So uh, what the old was, I'm not quite sure. Um, but it's clear to us that he's yeah, very very special. Yeah. And you've got 
you know, enough nice horses, including the horse who ran so well last weekend to, to compare him to. Yeah, no, um, we are lucky that, you know, as the seasons have gone on, we've uh, really um, gone gone sort of the right way with the quality. Um, and hence, yeah, when, when you are sort of uh, dealing with these nice horses, you're very much able to compare them with others. Um, yeah, and he's obviously, he's right up there. So, um, you know, we're still not on the racetrack yet. And um, take it very much one day at a time. You must have been very proud of Stolen Silver at the weekend, weren't you? What's the plan with him? Yeah, I felt like a winner, Nick, really. He's, um, he's such a star of a horse. Um, the way he tanks off to the start is how he is to be ridden every day at home. He's an absolute maniac. And um, if he'd have gone and pulled up there, I wouldn't have been surprised. It's impossible to tell you what sort of form he's in. You have to go on a fair bit of trust. Um, but off 150, giving everything weight, uh, yeah, I was very proud. And um, the logical thing is either come back there on the 28th um, and potentially have a look at the sky bet on the 28th as well. Um, and then on to March, really. He's of course, which you don't need to do anything with him between his runs. He probably trotted him for most of the week leading up to the race around the roads. And um, now I know how to train him. Uh, he's certainly not easy, but um, one that I have sort of learned to deal with along the way. Uh, and Sam, um, everyone will be wishing you well after your your hor- horrible crash earlier on in the in the year. Um, how are, how are you feeling? Are you are you fully recovered? Yeah, much better, thank you, Nick. Uh, mentally, for me, was the biggest uh, you know thing to overcome. Uh, it really did just you know, shake me up, if you like. Um, and uh, yeah, being busy and being out in the yard every day and having things to deal with is really hard to, to keep my mind on, 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 on sort of on the right path, if you like. Um, and um, yeah, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. I'm just very fortunate to be able to be in the position I am. Sam, thanks for talking to me. Thank you, Nick. Sam Thomas there, and before him, Joe Chambers. Lee Motter said, I thought they were two of the more interesting entries. I know beyond the obvious, really. Angel's Breath. I mean, where did he come from? <laughs> I, I've got to be honest, Nick, I had completely forgotten about Angel's Breath. Um, and he, I mean, just the fact that he's entered in the race is, again, just highlights the regard in which anyone who has been associated with that horse holds the horse in um, and yet they are two particularly fascinating entries there are enough entries um, really it's, it's disappointing to see only 27 horses um, entered in the Gold Cup we had 43 as recently as as 2019 um, the champion chase picture is is even worse um, Nick very disappointing to see only 14 horses in the champion chase. Um, I mean, that really is a desperately low number. I mean, let's hope that the majority of those make it to the race, but but that, that I think is is concerning. It might be a, a one-off blip. We had 31 as recently as, as 2020, but it's but it's not a, a number to to lord. Um I, mean, I, I, I what what I hope is that that, that, that this kicks or stimulates um, anti-post interest as well in these races. That's what you always hope when you get this this entry stage that people really start talking about these races and and taking a, a view on on these races. One of the mo- more interesting entries as well, Nick, I thought was 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 Shishkin. Um, he's not in the champion chase. He's not one of those fourteen. He is entered, however, in the in the Ryanair chase and the Gold Cup. You had Nicky um, on on the pod and hinting and t- taking us in in that direction i've got to say nick as a, as a somebody who does like an, an anti-post bet i thought 
Shishkin at 25 to 1 with one of the bookmakers offering the no runner no bet concession um, was quite attractive on the base that he will only run in the Gold Cup if they think he has a genuine shot at winning the Gold Cup. And presumably after being tried over three miles at some point before Cheltenham, maybe doesn't run, you get your money back. Um, but yeah, l- loads of interesting horses in these races, but not enough of them. Right. Let's get to Hong Kong and J.A. McGrath. Hi, Nick. You know, there are going to be an awful lot of people disappointed if the Clash of the Titans doesn't take place at uh, Sha Tin in the Stewards' Cup later this month. For Titans, read the remarkable Golden 60, his recent conqueror, California Spangle, and the current Hong Kong Triple Crown hero, Romantic Warrior. Already the build-up to the one-mile contest has started. Yes, that's right. Hong Kong Stewards Cup is over a mile, and it's a Group 1. Very different to the Goodwood version. It's due to be run at Sha Tin on January the 29th. And so far, so good. We look like getting the big three to line up in what should be the highlight of the season. The preamble went up a gear when Golden 60 had a barrier trial on the dirt track at Sha Tin this week. It was nothing serious, just an exercise in keeping his fitness level topped up and his mind focused. Just as well it wasn't serious, as he came out of the gate awkwardly, appeared to stumble and he'd lost a shoe in the process. Jockey Vincent Ho looked after him and he appeared none the worse for the experience. The Stewards Cup is a natural target also for California Spangle, while Romantic Warrior, who won the Hong Kong Cup for James McDonald on International Day last month, also looks on course for the important date in just over three weeks. More about the big clash as we get closer to the race. Meanwhile, there is a nine-race card at Happy Valley today, and as ever, Zach Purton looks set to dominate. Purton turned 40 yesterday, but his star shows no sign of waning. He's uh, ridden 72 winners already so far this season, more than doubling the total of his nearest rival, Vincent Ho, who's on 34. Purton's best, in my opinion, are in race seven, number four, Juno Flash, who's a very promising uh, John Size-trained sprinter in the making. Uh, He's uh, still a maiden, but uh, his last two runs have been very promising. He was fourth and then second at Happy Valley, over a 1,000. That's five furlongs, and uh, he's going the right way. I think he can go in and defeat number seven, Faribo. So that's four to beat seven in race number seven. One race later, race eight, I think uh, Purton can win again on number three, Dynamic Spirit, who's a Brazilian import, a very interesting one too. He's a multiple Group 1 winner in Brazil, and uh, he's joined the uh, stable of Danny Shum. Certainly going the right way, and I expect him to beat another promising horse in number four, Prince Alex. So race eight, number three, Dynamic Spirit, to beat four, Prince Alex. They're the best of the day at Happy Valley, where there are nine races. That's all on the Hong Kong beat this week. I'll have more for you next week. All right. Thanks to Jim. Lee is still with me. Lee, your thought for the day today. My thought for the day today. Well, two thoughts, Nick. Um, One is that if you're going to, to Hereford this afternoon, you could see potentially history being made. My Racing Post colleague, Chris Cook, has noted uh, in his daily front-runner email, that Dennis O'Regan, if successful at Hereford, would become the first jockey, we believe, to ride a winner at every British and Irish jumps race course. And he has chances to do that at Hereford 
this afternoon. My, my, my punting thought of the day, Nick, aside from recommending Shishkin as an on-runner, no-bets, anti-post uh, uh, offer in the, um, in the Gold Cup, is to express the hope that Richard Hughes trains his first jumps winner this afternoon. Uh, runs a horse called Tessie Ladd in the juvenile main hurdle at Hereford. The the 130 was a, a winning horse on the flat, ran to a fair level on the flat. And although only third of five at Newcastle, actually third of six at Newcastle on fighting fifth day, that wasn't a bad race. And there was definite hope for the future. And I hope that Dennis O'Regan gets his record at Hereford and that Richard Hughes trains Tessie Ladd to win the 130. All right. Thank you very much, Lee. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back to do it all over again tomorrow. That was Wednesday, the 4th of January. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.